I grew up in a place called Gloucester. Uh, and if you know anything about Gloucester, one of the famous bits about Gloucester is the cheese roll. Just get, who's heard of the cheese roll? Anyone heard of the cheese roll? Anyone actually been to the cheese roll? Uh, yeah, brilliant. If you've been to the cheese roll at home, put that on the chat as well. One or two people have. If you don't know what the cheese roll, on the edge of Gloucester, there's this hill. And on the hill, it's quite a steep sort of gash between the trees. And once a year in May on a bank holiday, the tradition that goes back centuries, what happens is a group of crazy people stand at the top of this very steep slope and a cheese is rolled down this hill and then people race to try and catch the cheese or at least to get to the bottom first. It is bonkers and if you know nothing about it, after today, after this service now, why don't you Google it and you'll see just how bonkers it really is. Because at the bottom of the hill, there are banks of ambulances and there is also a local rugby team in front of the ambulances because what of course happens is people run down this hill after they've had a few beers, let's be honest. They run down this hill and then the rugby team at the bottom safely, apparently, tackles them because otherwise the momentum would cause them real harm as they, of course, hit the ambulances. But what happens as people go, footing goes and nobody is able to stay on their feet. It is crazy, and one year is even cancelled because of a real tragedy. Uh, now, I, having lived in Gloucester, have never done that. <laughs> Many of my mates and I, we used to talk about it, and we all agreed that we would never do it. But we have been up this kind of slope, and we decided one day to see if we could climb up it rather than come down it, just kind of, you know, on a normal day. And it's one of those places that as you're climbing up, you think this is fine, it's not that steep, is it? And then as you're going, you begin to look behind you and suddenly realise it is quite steep. Uh, and then after a while, you sort of lose your footing a bit. And then you try and grab onto anything that you can get hold of. And of course, there's nothing, just grass. And eventually you do find your way to the top and it's all great and you're away, you chase superheroes. But that kind of idea reminded me of this moment that we're in now, both as a society and for us as individuals, that for many of us, we are finding and trying to discover something to grab onto because everything seems so uncertain. And we need something sure that we can hold on to to fix us to know where we're at. We are in a time of massive questioning and in a time of deconstruction where many of the things in our society that we have trusted in and thought we were in control of have now been found wanting. I don't know if you've heard of the big quit. Apparently more and more people are leaving their jobs right now than they have for decades. Why? Because people have realised they don't want to go back to just how things were. We've realised that we're not quite as in control of our health as we perhaps thought we were, as a microscopic bug has floored the planet. For many of us, our relationships 
we've realised they weren't perhaps what we hoped they would be. And our partners, uh, we're not the person that we thought we were. Or maybe we've discovered we're not the person we thought we were. For some of us, habits that we thought we'd overcome years gone by have reappeared during the pandemic. Everything, it seems, is sort of in flux. We're trying to grab onto something that is sure and certain. That Luke writes to a guy called Theophilus, why he says this in verse four, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In a society where so many things are being questioned, and for some of us who are followers of Jesus, we've got so many questions about our faith, this puts us in good company. Because we join with somebody who's writing to somebody who needs certainty. And Luke gives it for him and so he gives it for us today. In a time of deconstruction, we're able to reconstruct strong, well, trustworthy. Uh, And in this series, I'd love to encourage us all to grapple with this in our group. So for you doing church at home, you'll see if you go onto our website on the blog there, there's loads of questions. There's three types of questions. There are discussion starter questions, which are brilliant for kind of now, straight away after the talk. Why don't you and your groups at home grapple with these questions on the back of the talk? What what resonated with me? And I didn't agree with that. And I'm not sure what that means. Then there are other questions that are kind of exploring a little bit further for us who are doing groups later on in the week, whatever it means, to go a bit deeper Uh, with exploring these themes. And then finally, a third set of questions, which are simply called going deeper. And they are for those of us who want to grapple more with what the wider themes of the Bible. Every week, these three sets of questions will be in this series. So grapple with them. Use them to think on your own with others. But also there's some resources on the blog as well, which give some just kind of articles and some videos and some books that you might be interested along these themes. And I want to particularly commend one to all of us. After this morning, go home and read the article that is called, I've forgotten what it's called now, (laughs) The Cross and the Machine by Paul Kingsnorth. Brilliant article about one man's journey of discovering quite how trustworthy Jesus really was from a hugely interesting background, resonating with a lot of stuff that Ben said. And he said this, I didn't become a Christian because I could argue myself into it. I became a Christian because I knew suddenly that it was true. The story I'd heard a thousand times turned out to be a story I'd never heard before. And so today, as we launch into this series about Jesus, we're kind of whetting our appetite for what the rest of the series shows us about this man who has changed history. The one of which all our symbols of hope, the Red Cross, hospitals, pharmacies, crosses round our necks are based on his death. And our very calendar is based on his life. The single man who's changed the planet We are going to discover him for ourselves. So whether you don't know Jesus at all, whether you have known Jesus for years, but to be honest, the pandemic has shuffled that all up, or whether you're just kind of part of church and isn't this great, let's remind ourselves of just how world-changing Jesus is. And just in 10 minutes, I want to dwell on a few things from those opening words. Is that all right? And the first is this. From those opening words that Luke writes at the beginning of this ancient document, we discover just how remarkable Jesus is. 
Just for a minute, what do you think your mates who aren't Christians think of Jesus? What do you, at home, just for a minute, what do you think people kind of around you think of Jesus? Many of them won't think of Jesus at all, but what do you kind of think? If you said Jesus, what would they make of him? Go for it. Just in a minute, chat with the person next to you. And at home, if you're having church at home, what do people think of Jesus, do you think? Just for a minute. You may like to carry those conversations on a little bit later, afterwards in your groups or here. Uh, just a, kind of interesting reflections on who we as a society think Jesus is. Some research was done about three or four years ago here in the UK, in which it discovered that 40 to 50% of people, depending on age groups, uh, don't actually believe even that Jesus existed, even though no serious scholar would agree with that. <laughs> We live in a society where I think there are many, as, but there are many of what some people term we are apathyistic. We're not atheist. We're just not bothered. <laughs> Jesus is not on our radar for many of us. Life seems fine, doesn't it? Except when it doesn't. <laughs> well, verse one, Luke kind of shoots this shot across the bow of just how remarkable Jesus is, that he can't be ignored. Let me read again. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. What he's simply saying is everybody's talking about this Jesus figure. And if you know your history, that is true, regardless of whether they're Christian historians or not. Jesus was being talked about all over the place. And so people were saying who they thought he was, writing it down and passing it on and so on. Something happened that cannot be ignored. I remember a few years ago, I was invited to a party that I couldn't be bothered to because it had a fancy dress sort of code to it. And I thought I'm not into that thing. And then I remember all the stories of this amazing party after I'd missed out and was just watching TV at home. And you get a sense that that, that if we're the kind of people that are just sort of saying, nah, not interested. It's a bit like that. Jesus cannot be ignored. Something remarkable happened. And many of us, I think in our society and in our hearts, presume we know about Jesus. We build a picture that so often coincides with our wish list that Ben talked about, rather than actually what is rooted in history. As one author says in a book that I've referenced on the blog, if we believe what we like in the Gospels and reject what we don't like, it's not the Gospel we believe in, it's ourselves. Do you remember when you were a child seeing a teacher out of school? Anyone remember that? And that kind of disorientation where you suddenly see somebody who you respect and they're kind of doing their shopping in the supermarket. I had a very weird situation where one of my teachers moved in three, three houses down from us. And you can't really respect your teacher anymore when you see their laundry on the washing line in the same way when you're a little kid. Because teachers don't do washing, do they? They're, they stay and live at school. It's that idea that for many of us, we need our ideas about Jesus realigned to history, 
to discover the reality of who Jesus is, that he is remarkable. And it's interesting. Do you notice verse two? Let me read again. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. These were people who were willing to die for this. Wasn't this the convincing story? Isn't this great? They were willing to put their lives on the line for this and die for it and change the whole of the Roman world as a result of this. Jesus is remarkable. This wasn't some cleverly invented idea, some religious dogma to reframe things for people, not 15 minutes of fame for a certain new charlatan celebrity. Not some wise teaching to help the weak. Not some Messiah complex. Something happened that changed everything and we are the beneficiaries of it today in our world. Friends, Luke describes the offer that Jesus has for us that has the power to change our lives even today. So let me ask, what are we doing with that? You know the comedian Lee Mack? Uh, he was once on Desert Island Discs. I've mentioned this before, but I love this quote because on Desert Island Discs, you know, you're, you, you have to choose what records you take if you go and live on a desert island and what books you take. And you get given the Shakespeare and you get given the Bible. And he said this about the Bible. I love this quote. I'm glad you get the Bible, he said, because I would read the Bible. I think it's quite odd that people my, like myself in their 40s, quite happy to dismiss the Bible, but have never read it. <laughs> I always think that if an alien came down and you were the only person they met and they said, what's life about? What's earth about? Tell us everything. And you said, well, there's a book here that purports to tell you everything. Some people believe it to be true. Some people don't believe it to be true. Wow, what's like, they'd say. And you said, don't know, never read it. (laughs) Be a bit odd, wouldn't it? He said. And that's why something like Alpha, friends, is so important. For those of us who have got questions Alpha is an opportunity to just grapple with these questions. Who is Jesus? That's the first thing. Jesus is remarkable. Second thing in these words is that Jesus is for everyone. What's fascinating about Luke's gospel compared to the other three, Matthew, Mark and John, is that Luke talks about the universal nature of Jesus. So in chapter two, when we get the Christmas story, we've got these words that Jesus is is good news that will bring joy for all people, not just a certain group, not just a little sect, for all people, the whole planet. Jesus is for everyone. And it's interesting who Luke is writing to. Let me read it again. Verse three, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I just too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I love that name, partly because of a Lenny Henry character when I was growing up, Theophilus P. Wildebeest. Don't go there. Don't Google it. It's fun. Anyway, Theophilus, we don't know who he is. But we can guess from his name that it is a Greek name, so not a Jewish background person. And because of the title, Most Excellent Theophilus, it's clear that he is probably of the elite. He is some sort of kind of echelon upper class in that society. And what is fascinating about the earliest Christians is just how diverse the community of Christians was. I was reading something the other day that said there were five things that stood out from the earliest Christians in the ancient world, and it was this. Firstly, they were multi-ethnic. 
in a, tri- in a society where they were very clearly, you are special and you are not. The Christians were multi-ethnic. Secondly, they were multi-class. Masters and slaves. The elite and the worker. Multi-class. Thirdly, their sexual ethic was very different from the society it did. They were chaste. They were committed to each other. Therefore, honouring men and women in a society that didn't. Fourthly, they treated the vulnerable differently. Both the unborn and the newborn. They wouldn't just put them out on the side of the road because they didn't want them. For those that had disabilities, for those that were widows, the vulnerable in society, the church said, come to us. We will look after you because Jesus looked after us. And then the fifth distinctive, very different, is they practiced nonviolence, interestingly. And what's interesting in our world today, I think, some of those values, depending on where you are on the spectrum of right and left, progressive and conservative, some of those would go, yeah, I'm there. So the more conservatives would like the kind of bit about sexual ethics and a bit about caring for the vulnerable. And some of the others would like the kind of multi-ethnic, multi-class and don't know what to do with the non-violent. Everyone's a bit weird on that one. But the church modelling Jesus, said, we're for everybody, we're different. We're forging a different path. And in our society, in our social media culture, where there's such a cancel culture, Jesus steps in and says, I'm for everyone. I remember a few years ago, I was with a group of mates on a stag do. And on the Saturday night before we were going out, we got into a conversation about Christianity. There were some of us were Christians, some of us weren't. And we got into this kind of deep philosophical, cracking conversation. And I remember my mate Al, My mate Al had become a Christian from a background in which he couldn't read, had really left school way before you should have done into a life of all sorts of crime and stuff. And I remember in this deep philosophical discussion with well-educated, degree-educated people talking about philosophy, his words where he silenced the room, where he said, to be honest, I don't understand many of the words you're using, but I know that Jesus has changed my life. Friends, Jesus is for you. So if you're somebody that thinks you don't fit in here at church, in your group, you're not sure how it's going to go, you, don't, you think you don't fit in, Jesus says, I am for everyone. Luke says, this is good news for you. You. If you think you don't fit in, that's why you do fit in. Jesus is for you, for everyone. And the third thing, therefore, Jesus is remarkable. He's for everyone. The third thing is this. We need each other to help us get to know Jesus. The pattern is clear in how Luke writes. Lots of people have got something to say. So he gathered all that together. He spoke to the people who were there, carefully ordered it so that Theophilus could know the certainty of it. Theophilus needed Luke. Luke needed others. We need each other. A book that I've put on the blog. For those of us who are grappling with our faith, we'd call ourselves Christians, but over the pandemic, we've had our kind of things flipped upside down a bit. There's a book called After Doubt by A.J. Swoboda, and he says this, Sometimes the best I can do when I struggle with my faith is surround myself with the faithful the way the blind would for those who see. We all need a group around us who believe for us when we struggle to believe on our own. We need each other to discover the certainty and trustworthiness of Jesus. That's why at Riverside Groups, 
and gathering together are so important and which is why it's been so difficult during the pandemic. Friends, can we reiterate again, if you aren't in a group and you're not gathering together in some way to do life and to explore the good news of Jesus, having church online, friends, we need each other. And that's the gift of Alpha, that if you've got questions, so have others. You can explore it together with them because we get to carry each other. And so at the beginning of this series, should we walk together to discover just how remarkable Jesus is with brothers and sisters who've had their lives flipped upside down? Because in a society of them and us, we have a saviour who says, come, come.